listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. Straight out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. Pay that man his money. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Live from the Vegas Strip, the pregame show America has always wanted. And now, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it, I'm R.J. live in Las Vegas, live on a Tuesday. Live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. Steve Fezzik on his three-day work week says he gets Wednesday or Thursday and Friday off. He's here today. Woo! Now, after that Steelers best bet, let's call it the Redemption Tour. What a game. We got so much to talk about today. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans to know more than their buddies. We're the pros. He's the Joe. Jonas Knox in LA. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we may have some trouble for an AFC contender, the season debut in the NBA. What is the Vegas lead here on this Tuesday? Most certainly it's going to be Monday, Monday Night Football, but I think we got two big stories here. One of them, what to make of this Pittsburgh team. And number two, what to make of the historic number of upsets, major upsets, this weekend. Let's start in the micro and grow to the macro. Let's start with Pittsburgh and the specifics of the aftermath of the game. And you mentioned it, two-touchdown underdog, the Cincinnati Bengals pull off the upset last night on Monday night, 27-17 the final over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, and I I do think it's noteworthy because of the big-picture conversation we'll have in a few minutes. The line, Jonas, was 14-and-a-half at close, and it was pretty much everywhere, if not moving towards 15. And that that demarcator between 14 and 14 14-and-a-half, historically, has been very meaningful. The books have been very apprehensive to make a favorite more than 14 when they do Those favorites tend to win the game. So we'll talk about how key that 14 and a half was to the historic context. Fez, I'm going to let this be Fez's choice. What's the biggest takeaway about the Steelers? From last night's game. Well, the obvious takeaway is the ineptness. Well, we don't want the obvious. The obvious, why do we need you for that? Fair enough. All right. The offense. You want to say you got nothing that's not obvious? No, I'll go ahead and th- go, what's go not for obvious. Go for it. The defense absolutely let the Steelers down. So the, they're playing Ryan Finley. Ryan Finley has six games in the NFL. He's never had a QBR higher than 30, RJ. 
And Ryan Finley goes for a 79 QBR against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I get it. He didn't throw very much. But the Bengals had some success on offense. And the Steelers... So, how many, how many passing attempts did he have? He had 13 passing attempts. Okay. So, it's how well Ryan Finley threw those 13 times. That's the key. The key is that when the Steelers' offense absolutely struggled last night, their defense did not bail them out. And I was shocked by that. I was shocked that Bengals had any success. You and I both thought the Bengals... How many, how many yards did the Bengals have? 230. So the, the problem is the defense that gave up 230 yards. I'm R.J. Bell. That's Steve Fezzik. What do you think, Jonas? Uh, I look at it and I go, Pittsburgh's offense just continues to not be able to figure it out. We've talked about their inability to run the football, but it seems like Ben Roethlisberger throughout the course of the season has regressed. And I don't know if it's the health. I don't know if he doesn't trust his body at this point in time, but it is not working. It's not clicking. You've got the Juju Smith-Schuster drama mixed in with all of this. It just feels like they're broke on that side. I have no concerns about the defense. The fact that they've lost the two starters on defense that they have and are still playing the way that they play. I have a lot of faith in the defense. The offense feels broke right now. Where would you, Fez, rank the defense right now of Pittsburgh? Top 10. So, so run think, eighth. You think potentially like the eighth or ninth best defense? Yes. And what, if I get, how's this sound? During the break, what we'll do is lead off the B segment with you making that case because. I think the case is going to be, at worst, Pittsburgh has the third-best defense, at worst. And I think that there's been a confluence of events, and we probably shouldn't spend too much time on this, because I think it's somewhat niche in that the defense isn't the problem. We're kind of getting off if we think that's the problem. What maybe would deceive some people is the combination of a couple of games prior, the Bills game specifically, that the defense was in such a bad spot because of fatigue issues, because of scheduling issues. And still, we talked about how against the Bills team that the next week against Denver looked like they could throw at will, literally were in the bottom 4% of yards per attempt or yards per play in the first half of that game before Pittsburgh got tired. Now, I know everyone likes to say they know Devin Bush's name, so they say Devin Bush and another injury at the linebacker. And it's like, yeah, this defense isn't as good as it was earlier in the season, Pittsburgh's, but it's still a top defense. And the idea that there's nine defenses better is absurd. But I'll give you a chance to make that case later. The offense... I'm not sure if it's even not bottom five. They can't run the ball. Now, earlier in the year, Big Ben was throwing the ball pretty well. Now, some people said, and this is an absolute fact, MVP for Ben. Less than a month ago, Jonas, you recall that, don't yeah. you? Yeah, that was a conversation being had. They were undefeated. Uh, it was comeback player of the year. Forget comeback player of the year. We're talking MVP potentially with Ben Roethlisberger. And we're talking less than a month ago. Yeah. So, I get when a team's undefeated, things get a little wacky. But also, Big Ben wasn't playing so bad. I mean, I think it's fair to say Ben was like the 12th best quarterback, 13th best quarterback in the NFL during that initial run. 
I don't know if he got hurt. Now, I've heard people say they think he got hurt. I don't know if he just has gotten tired. Who knows? In a way, it doesn't matter. Something is fundamentally wrong with Big Ben. Now, is he at fault? No, he was just the only thing that was really working, him and those receivers. Now, Big Ben's dropped off. The receivers have had the dropsies, or whatever you want to call euphemism for they can't catch the freaking ball. And the offensive line's been a problem to start with. Even when they were undefeated, this Pittsburgh offensive line was ranked last with rushing the ball for an offensive line by football outsiders. They assess how good a line is pass blocking, how good a line is running the ball. Pittsburgh's offense was undefeated now, was the worst offensive line running the ball. Now, others, and I think even football outsiders, had them ranked very high against the pass. But here's something statistically we still haven't figured out how to do, we as collectively society. How do you separate a quarterback throwing the ball quickly from a quarterback who doesn't and takes a sack? Because Big Ben was getting the ball out quicker than any quarterback in the NFL. And his sack numbers were really good. So the O-line looked good defending pass rush or you know blocking for pass. But really, they weren't that good. It was Big Ben was getting the ball out so quick. If you actually look at ESPN's stat, which is wins and losses at the line of scrimmage, they grade every play, does that on a pass play, does that defender win or lose versus the blocker? Doesn't matter if he gets to the quarterback or not. Pittsburgh actually is bottom five at that. So if we take that against the pass, so if we assume they're horrible against the run by any or running the ball by any metric, the O line, and then if we look at that specific ESPN metric, they're not good. Pass blocking, they're not good at anything. Right? And Mike Munchak is a name you may remember, Tennessee Titan former head coach. He was a Steelers O line coach for multiple years. Two years ago, he decided to go to Denver for whatever reason. And the O line hasn't been the same since. You can make the case it's an age thing. Maybe it's not about Munchak, it's about you know, Pouncey and those guys are getting older. It's just reality. And old offensive lines get worse as the season progresses. Hmm. I see nothing about this offense. And it wasn't that long ago that I was saying I'm not that worried about the offense because I think they can pass like the Patriots did years recently. A lot of quick passes instead of running the ball. But if you do that, as I said a couple weeks after that, you got to be efficient. You can't fumble. You can't have exchange problems. You can't throw interceptions. Tom Brady style, right? Well, Big Ben's always been big plays and big mistakes. He's still making the big mistakes, but the big plays aren't there. And I'm, I don't think it has anything to do with the defense. Yeah, you're right. Maybe if the defense had scored three touchdowns or whatever, they could have won. But that isn't what a defense is supposed to do in 2020 in the NFL. I don't care if it's against Finley or against anyone. When a team has 200 and some yards, 220, you said? 240. 240. That, the problem isn't that they gain. If only they would have gained 170, we would have been fine. Now, I get in a way, I think your error there is excusable because we were so used to the Steelers defense bailing out the team. It's not what they're supposed to do. If Pittsburgh, and a lot of people are going to say it was the schedule, a lot of people are going to say, no. Pittsburgh's defense, 100% healthy, and the offense, the way they were playing the first half of the year, this is, that's one of the top two or three teams in the NFL, which changes the defense 
injuries have depleted him. Bud Dupree, obviously Devin Bush, and then additionally, something's wrong with Big Ben. And that combination means we maybe have an average team. And you mentioned, RJ, just to double down on the offense, that you're not sure they're not a bottom five offense in the league. If you just took playoff teams, teams that are currently in the playoffs in the AFC, the only team I would maybe have a conversation whose offense I would rather not have than Pittsburgh's is Miami. I think they're clearly the worst offense of all the AFC playoff team right now. And if you go to the NFC, you've got Washington, who's the other team. So if they're second to last or third to last or dead last offense, of all playoff teams, that just puts even more pressure on the defense. And considering that Miami just ran for 200 and whatever, 40 yards, I think it was, against New England, right. I'm taking that team. Right. Right. And listen, if it is an injury to Big Ben, maybe it gets better. You th- I mean, he's never been afraid to talk about his injuries, though. He's a tough mofo, but he talks about it. I don't hear him talking about it. Maybe it's that famous, did not play old designation fast. Yeah, what resonates with me is you're talking about how fast Big Ben is getting the ball out, and there's a lot of talk about how he's making horrible decisions in terms of who he's targeting while he's not going through his progressions because he's getting rid of the ball so quickly, and that's a big part that he doesn't trust his O-line, I think. I mean, part of progressions is that the first guy's not open. Whenever there's a progression, the theory is the first guy isn't open. When you throw as conservative a passing that they do, the first guy's usually open. What maybe has changed is every no one is threatened anymore by the long ball. They're not worried about the run, so they're playing Lester Hayes-type bump-and-run coverage. Little 70s throw back there. And there's no room. And Big Ben doesn't have the cannon to slip it in the tight spot. See, Drew Brees, even when they – everyone said, forget last week when he was hurt – this year, how does Nudoarm do that? Well, Nudoarm does it because he has laser-like pinpoint accuracy. He gets the ball exactly where he wants. Big Ben's never had that. As a Steelers fan, here will be my lament. This offense, or check that, this defense, Steelers D this year healthy, and the 2018 Steelers offense, even without Le'Veon Bell, would have won a Super Bowl. And for whatever confluence of events, Big Ben got old too fast. He got hurt last year. There's ships passing in the night, the defense and the offense, and they just haven't been able to line up. And as a Steelers fan, that's lamentable because that offense in 18, top five in the NFL, defense this year, maybe the best in the NFL when healthy, that is an all-time great team. Life is about timing. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. So, RJ, the Pittsburgh Steelers have now lost three straight games after a 27-17 defeat to the Cincinnati Bengals last night on Monday Night Football, which brings up the question, how much does Vegas downgrade Pittsburgh? The, the challenge, Fez, and you deal with this all the time, if you look week to week, how good was Pittsburgh, how good was the opponent, and you make an adjustment for it. That's one approach. So there's a bunch of half points and points. Then you pull back the lens and you say, how good is Pittsburgh relative to this team or that team? It sounds like it's the same thing, but it's not. It, both answers are supposed to be consistent. Sometimes it's not. So let me ask you right now, how many teams this week 
assuming the given the givens of today, what we know about Pittsburgh, how many teams is Pittsburgh favored over on a neutral field? Now, that should be as simple as where are they in your rankings. Yeah, so Pittsburgh's number 11. Okay. So you think there's 10 teams that would be favored over Pittsburgh? Yes. Now, does that feel right to you? So let's see who number 12 is. Number 12 is Cleveland. So you think Pittsburgh, if they didn't have a history, you think Pittsburgh is favored over Cleveland? Doesn't feel right, though, does it? No, it doesn't. Next game, or next team? Arizona. You think Pittsburgh's favored over Arizona? It's real close. I don't think it is. Hmm. Arizona was just almost a touchdown favorite over a, a, a rejuvenated Philly team. Who's the next team? Miami. You think Pittsburgh's favored over Miami? I do. I think you're wrong. Remember, New England. You're wrong. New England was favored at Miami. Well, that was a Bel- But what was the opening line? That was a Belichickian type. And again, the sharps came in on, on, on Belichick. Like you no, said, more situational trend wise. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder. I mean, let's think about this. If you have a bottom five offense and a top five. Oh, speaking of that. Why don't you do your recant? <laughs> yeah, so I said that the Pittsburgh defense. Yeah, you can thought, get to it. Get to it. Yeah, I thought it was around eighth. I'm going to recant Pittsburgh. You said, you said like uh, top ten, top, top ten. Yeah, it's a top five defense. All right. And the numbers you could skew last three weeks if you completely ignore the situational reality of the lack of rest and moving all those games, they're still with number eighth by DVOA. And obviously, there's some adjustment. Yes. All right. That was see. That was. It's not painful if you just say it. See, Jonas, it's easy for him. <laughs> but if you have, let's say, the fifth best defense and the 28th best offense, what are you? Now you might say split the difference. I would say the following: offense is worth how much more than defense? Now the old football outsiders four three one. Ratio four for offense, three for defense, one for special teams. I think it is. I don't think I there's serious people would say defense hardly matters if you don't have a top five D, it doesn't even matter your defense in the modern NFL. How what ratio would you give it offense over defense? Look at a Tennessee. Where's Tennessee in your rankings? Tennessee is number 10. Now, that's actually bad for them. I think they're who's right above them, Indianapolis. Uh, I can yeah, that's close. And who's right above them? Rams. Boy, there's some, you know, it's funny. There's not any great teams. There's a lot of good teams. I can accept 10. But my point is, Tennessee's defense is what? Like 30, 29? Right there. Yes. And offense is three or four. Exactly. So you so. would think they would be 15, 16, 17. No, they're 10th or so. Right. Because, like you said, offense is probably worth 60% defense. Or probably more than right? that now. 60, I think it's 40. more than that now. Could well be. Let's say it's two to one ratio, mm. but it's somewhere in there. So if Pittsburgh's 28 on offense and 5 on D, that means they're more towards 20 or 22. Yes, well below average. But you're saying no. There's 10 teams between 20 and 10 or so. And I'm saying that's the problem. If you adjust week to week, sometimes it's hard to catch up to the mistakes. Because really, if you're wrong big picture, it's a sign that a lot of your little adjustments were wrong. You just didn't see it. Or maybe something just has fundamentally changed. Because I think in the Pittsburgh situation, a lot of people are going to be taking bows how right they were that Pittsburgh's just an average team. And I'm saying, no, that team that beat Tennessee easily, that crushed the Browns, that's a different team. 
It's a great point. So it's it's not about debating how good Pittsburgh's been all year long. How good are they now? Yeah, and they're not very good. So the market tells us that I'm RJ Bell straight out of Vegas. Tell me what happened in their line next week. They play the Colts. Yeah, so Pittsburgh was a two and a half point favorite I, at home. Two and a half, saying they're a better team than the Colts because home field. In 2020, without the fans, is about a point, point and a half. Exactly. 24 hours later today, Pittsburgh is plus one and a half. So a four-point adjustment in 24 hours. Yes. Pittsburgh went from being better than the Colts to a home underdog versus the Colts. Jonas, does that feel appropriate? Yeah, and I wonder also if they're looking at the fact that, and this is something Fez brought up last week, looking ahead, now Pittsburgh's back on a short week again. You know, now now we're back to the same old, they don't have a full week, and you saw the struggles that they've had. Are they going to look better against a better football team with less time to prepare than they did on Monday night against Cincinnati? A very physical team, too. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's important. And remember, the, the extended week for Pittsburgh was actually a Sunday night game you know a war right. against the bills so you know you play a road game like that then you have a second road game so somehow two road games with a little more than a week to prepare is is a respite hmm. right and now it's back to a short week we've never seen a team this deep into the season without a bye pittsburgh has not had a true bye and they're not going to get one for the number 1 seed rj bell straight out of vegas Let's talk a little history. Fed, you got a closing thought. Yeah, forget the number one seed. We got to worry about the division now. Who's we? Steeler fans. <laughs> Steeler Nation. Are you a Steeler fan? If uh, no, no. But if so, the, don't we it? But if the Steelers lose to Indy and Cleveland takes care of business, they're playing the Jets. Then all of a sudden, week seventeen at Cleveland is the, the ju- game. The team that just beat the Rams. <laughs> Go ahead. That game's going to be for the division, RJ. Yeah, I don't know if it matters. I don't know if it matters. The funny thing is they wrap up the division if they would have won. I mean, they had a game against Cincinnati that was almost hard to lose, which is a good segue into our historic context. Now, listen, this is going to surprise you. Your instincts might be to say, that can't be. But remember who's telling you. All right? You can trust me on the Vegas stuff. If, I, if someone disagrees with me, bet them. All right? Bet against them that they're wrong. When it comes to this stuff, since the last 25 years, since Washington beat the Dallas Cowboys, and this was 1995, December 3rd, since that game, there have been five upsets of underdogs, more than two touchdowns, more than two, not 14, 14 and a half. And as I was talking to Jonas about, it was clearly 14 and a half at post, as they say, at close, since he over Pittsburgh. There's been five upsets, only five of those big underdogs. And two of them happened in the last two days. Think about that. In 25 effing years, three underdogs of more than two touchdowns, one. In the last 48 hours, two, one. What the hell, Fez? And what makes no sense is this has been a year where there have been almost no big upsets. The only one I can remember, really, is Seattle losing at home against the Giants. Other than that, it has largely been a big upset free season. Then all of a sudden, boom, two of the biggest ones come Week 15. 
Was Jones. one of those other upsets in the uh, of the five biggest upsets? Was it the Arizona at Green Bay, which led to the McCarthy firing? Because I remember the Cardinals upset Green Bay at home, and I remember that being a pretty big line as well, too. So, uh, Mackenzie, pop. I don't have my Twitter right in front of me. Pop up the list. I, I just tweeted at RJ in Vegas. There's a list, and um, it wasn't. So one of them for sure wasn't. I'll have the list popped in a second, but one of them for sure was the Minnesota Buffalo game in 2018, and then the Miami game last year against the Patriots was another one. So all of these are happening recently. What does that tell well, you about? Yeah. So here's the complete list. So this is from literally from 1995 to 2009. There wasn't one. Not a single two-touchdown favorite loss, or over two-touchdown favorite loss. So, just to give some context, entering this weekend, teams favored by more than two touchdowns won 97.2% of their games in the last 25 years. This is going back to December 3rd, 1995. 106 winners, three losers. 106 and three until this weekend. 0-2 0-2 this weekend. Wow. All right, so the this is in order of size of upsets. Sunday, Jets plus 17 over the Rams. 2018, Bills plus 16.5 over the Vikings. 2019, Dolphins plus 16 over the Patriots. 2009, Raiders plus 14.5 over Steelers. Monday, Bengals plus 14.5 over Steelers. I see a trend. Mike Tomlin. Fez, what do you got? You know, what's interesting is I might argue, well, wait a minute, the totals are so much higher this year and higher totals, you think it might be more variance. But what's curious... So explain that concept. Um, because if you have a total around 37... Let's just say if there's less scoring or more scoring... Yeah, so if there's more scoring, then there would be more volatility and you would... Ex- so you said by, you're explaining variance by using the word volatility instead. Yes. Do you think that's explaining it? No. So if I have a 14 point favorite and and a really low total, it's it almost you think it'd be very very unlikely that the dog could win. So but you're repeating that it's less likely. All right. You want me to do it for you? Go ahead. Think of it like this. Imagine if the average number of points in a baseball game uh, or runs, uh, let's call it 10. Right. If someone was favored by 14 points, it'd be kind of or runs. It'd be kind of hard to think. Oh. The, it, the less number, the less scoring that happens, the harder it is to have a more extreme result. And I'm not sure I'm doing a lot better job there. So you know that would be a good goal. We'll think of a better way to explain. Jonas, does that resonate with you? Yeah, with with more points being accounted for, there's more it, of a range. Yes, it feels like there's more opportunity for an upset like that. Yeah. I'm just wondering why these are all happening in such a close timeline because it never happened for 14 years as you pointed out you had the one in 2009 but then you've had three or four over the past couple of seasons and i'm just wondering what what's going on in in a way i think it has to do with what fez is saying but for the root cause so if i asked you why is scoring up the answer would be more passing right yes and i think what when you have a dominant team and it's physical imagine if you and i are arm wrestling if you're stronger than me, let's just say hypothetically, could be, yeah. I've seen you in the white tees, <laughs> is if we arm wrestled, unless I did the over-the-top Stallone move, there's no way for me to win. I'm just going to lose and lose and lose, right? Because it's pure strength. But if we box, your strength is a big advantage, 
but there's a chance I'm going to hit a roundhouse and get you, right? right? So, in a way, the better teams are still better. But if you're just running the ball, the superiority of the team is hard to overcome, of the superior team. But if you're throwing the ball, the chance to overcome even an inferior team goes up, it feels like. It's why you see more upsets in MMA as opposed to boxing, because there's more ways for you to win a fight. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. So, RJ, the NBA is back, and in fact, it tips off a little over 10 minutes from now on TNT. You've got the Warriors at the Nets right now. Brooklyn, a seven-point favorite on pregame.com. Fez, your best bet. What time's that start? Seven o'clock. The late. Oh game. well, then you know what? We got a surprise best bet. <laughs> Stop on the Clippers plus the two and a half against the Lakers. If you look at the season win numbers for these two teams, almost the same. Right around forty-seven wins. Lakers supposed to win half a game more. Clippers half a game less. So comparable rated teams. But if you look at the motivation, I think major edge to the Clippers. They just had that embarrassing playoff loss to Denver that's still sticking in their craw. Contrast that with the Lakers. Fat. Are you sure it's sticking in their craw? I don't even know where a craw is. No, I'm serious though. <laughs> mm. I mean, do we know how the Clippers have responded? I think it would be a motivating factor. I know you think that. That's why I'm asking you. I think you probably are right. I also think it's dangerous for us to assume we understand these professional athletes too much because they have a different universe. You know, we talk about girls all the time because women, because for men, you know, I'm thinking high school type things. People are really formed by those experiences. The guy that was the quarterback that the girls were lining up to go to the dance with, they carry with, they can have a big pot belly, double chin, bald, but they got a different attitude. And the guys like Steve Fat, or I, I mean, you know, that, that were home crying in their pillow, they still have that. It's like, me, me, pay attention to me, me. Wouldn't you say, Steve? I didn't think that way. <laughs> you didn't think that way? Me, me, pay attention to me? No. That's how you think every day of your life. <laughs> I mean, no one's met you. Jonas is like probably your biggest fan. <laughs> Jonas, would you say Fez is pretty self-interested? Um, I haven't gotten that vibe from him. But, oh, look, okay. he's smiling so much. It looks like a, a Pepsodent commercial. <laughs> well, if I was a Laker, I would still be parting from the championship feeling. Oh, back up, back yeah. up, back up. You're saying you don't think you're self-interested? <laughs> Perhaps a, a, a tad. So why would you lie? Why don't you just say, you know I am. I don't know how I became this way, but this is the way I am. L- like it, love it, or leave it. There you go. But why not say that? I don't know. Continue. All right. The Lakers, certainly I expect to be fat and happy. I know I'd be fat and happy off of that title, and I don't think this game means nearly as much given that their domination in the playoffs last year. So I could see the So La- you mean the fact the Lakers won the title? Yes. Is their domination in the playoffs? Yes. Okay. Um, what's the line? Clippers are plus two and a half. All right. So what you're saying is there really is no home court, right? Yes. Because we could say even when they both play at the same place with fans, the Lakers being home, they got the tickets. Here, there are no tickets. Exactly. So this is a truly even game. Yes. And the Clippers are getting two and a half. So you're saying these are even teams. Yes. Or do you think they're even teams? You know, maybe the Lakers are one point better. All right. So Lakers are slightly better. Clippers have a big motivational edge. Yes. And you cried in your pillow in high yes. school. 
right. So we got all those facts straight. <laughs> I actually agree with them here. I'm going to endorse this. I li- this is a pure value play. I think the Lakers Clippers dichotomy is interesting in that if you actually look at the win total, 47 for the Lakers, 47 for the Clippers, and there's slightly different numbers floating around, but I think that's fair to say. The Milwaukee Bucks, though, have the highest win total, 49.5. So Lakers 47, Clippers 47, and then Bucks 49.5. But if you look at the title odds, Lakers are plus 270, 100 wins you 270. The Bucks are second at six to one. So you get paid more than double. If you bet 100, you win 270 on the Lakers, 100 on Milwaukee if they win it, six to one. One of the real storylines of this year, Giannis, who is obviously locked into Milwaukee now. Guy nice anti toko umpo. Is he anything but a regular season player? Because you might say, oh, it's luck, RJ. Coach K used to be the guy that can't win the Final Four, which if you're old enough, you remember that. right? So it was Dean Smith was like that. You always hear these things. J- John Elway, up until his last two years, couldn't win a title. Now he's the champion. Things change. Yeah, true. But I do believe fundamentally Milwaukee and Giannis's game doesn't lend itself to the postseason. And you might think, oh, Milwaukee's disappointing. Yeah, they have been, but if it's a regular season game, they're as good as anyone. In fact, their last two regular seasons, if you look at them collectively, Milwaukee played about the fifth best of any team in NBA history over two seasons. The only one of those five teams not to win at least one title is Milwaukee. They're the most successful regular season team that hasn't won a title ever in the NBA history, the Milwaukee Bucks. Fez, how thirty seconds? How do you handicap that with the Bucks? Yeah, bet on them during, game by game. Bet on them during the regular season, and you got to avoid them in the playoffs, right? I think it's simple. Mm, yeah. So when you say bet on them, you're saying lean that way. Yeah, selectively I mean, look in that direction. The worst teams in the league, the New York Knicks, twenty-two and a half wins. Real quick, Fez, we got to run. Is it isn't as rare that there isn't one team with a win total over fifty? It's because it's a seventy-two game schedule. So oh, it's all well, that's yeah. a great. So, so really, eighty percent win. So you take off about eight. Would add what seven, eight wins of the best teams probably. Exactly. So really, Milwaukee would be like a fifty-six, fifty-seven. 